Well, hello. Hello. How are you today? <laughs> Good. How are you, man? I am cold, actually. I'm quite cold. It's snowing in March. Yeah, it is. It mm. is. It is making me very sad, actually. It was warming up. It was warming up, and, and, then, and then this happened. I know. <sighs> well, I gotta love Canada. I know. Well, speaking of uh, shitty situations, we're going to be talking about Dominic Ongwen today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great name, great name. We'll mm-hmm. soon figure out who he really is and uh, why we're talking about him today. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> to rewind, <laughs> my name's Kaylee. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 just a little bit. Maybe we should really introduce ourselves a little bit. We're still um, learning here, people. <laughs> um, my name's Matt. Okay. And this is FNL. Yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoy this as much as we do. We have a lot of fun doing this, um, and you'll soon see why. Yeah, oh my gosh. Also, uh, we have a Twitter page. Go check it out. <laughs> and hashtag Curious Nerds. Yeah. Let's make that a thing. Hey, let's, let's, yeah, let's make this a big thing. We're going to make an army, guys. <laughs> Not <laughs> the ones we're going to be talking about, okay? Okay, okay. So Dominic Ongwen, who is he? Oh well, my gosh. Okay, he was born in a place in Uganda called Korom. Um, he was born in 1975, but this is, all of this information, uh, it's not like we have... Clear information. A clear Wikipedia page yeah. on him. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, there's, like there, there were no proper documents in, in any of this. I, I don't think anyone really wants to. Like, uh, we're in rural Uganda in the 70s, so yeah. just... Paint Just a lot picture. of turmoil, a lot of turmoil at this point. <laughs> yeah, okay, so he was born in this nation called uh, the Akoli people. And so children at the time were trained to actually give false names in case yeah. they were abducted. So, I mean, why did know? he choose Dominic is my question. Yeah, Out of Dominic? all of the names, couldn't you, you be could like... been like Sebastian... Starkiller. Starkiller. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Thor Star- before it was cool. <laughs> I don't Thor. know. Thor. <laughs> But I feel like that's more of a Scandinavian like cool name, you know. Yeah, not in Uganda. Uh, I don't think they have much, uh, <laughs> much, uh, much Norse history there. No, so he chose Dominic Ongwen, and um, unfortunately, he was abducted by the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, who we'll get to know a little bit later. Um, when he was attending Kuro Abili, again disclaimer. Yeah. Sorry for the pronunciations. <laughs> should make this a thing, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. The Koro, uh, Koro Abili Primary School in roughly 1988. So we think he was 14-ish, but those well, numbers change. Yeah, because you know? some people, there have been some some ideas about him being around like 9 or even younger than that. So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to really estimate. The most you need to know, he was a kid. He was yeah, young. Very young. And enough to be impressionable. Right. And so that's exactly what happened. He was forced to watch people being murdered, a bunch of awful things, and he was essentially brainwashed into becoming an LRA fighter. And down the line, he becomes a deputy commander for the Senia Brigade in the LRA. So just to give you guys a little more context, uh, Uganda during this time was a very chaotic place. Um, This was after the Amin dictatorship was removed. And then I'm going to butcher this name. Disclaimer. Um, Literally the name of our previous we podcast. Really, we really should just like change our name. It's no longer happening. It's disclaimer. Yeah. Um, so it's Yusuf Lul. And he was part of the Ugandan uh, National Liberation Front. 
And this is what came into power after Amin's dictatorship. Uh, and then after that, we have a military commission, which ruled uh, in a little less than a year. Then we have, in the 1980s, an election system which is in place, and we see our first presidential election. Um, lovely, great, really wow. good, fantastic. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> yeah. um, and the issue here is that during this period, um, they actually see some of the worst human rights records um, on like that they've ever seen. So after this, after a long string, you see the NRA, the National Resistance uh, Army. Not the U.S. NRA. <laughs> no, no, just to, just to make it clear. Both have guns, but yes, point. <laughs> yes, uh, different uses though. The NRA takes over in 1986, and so this is where we're kind of gonna uh, jump off from. Right. So incredibly unstable place, as you yeah. just said. So yeah. the LRA. So it was active beginning in 1987. At the time, it was 3,000 uh, estimated members. Um, and essentially it was a guerrilla warfare rebel heterodox. I googled that because like you probably listening, I did not I, know what yeah, heterodox means. Yeah. But I'll get to that. Christian group. So heterodox just means essentially disagreeing with the traditional orthodox understanding of Christianity. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so it, from what I briefly googled, it's quite conservative, quite strict. Um, very single-minded, hence header, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it operated in, in northern Uganda and then spread to South Sudan, Central African Republic, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Its main aim, <laughs> that they I, say... I wonder why. <laughs> sort of like the whole, like, democratic election kind of thing, like, good intention, bad execution. Yeah. Um, its main aim was to create a multi-party democracy... So, yay, Woo! Um, in Uganda, according to the Ten Commandments. Woo. <laughs> what? So, um, according to the Ten Commandments and Akoli values, which is like tribal values, and oh. religious rules, that's what the Ten Commandments are, essentially. Okay. The first part of that sentence started so well. Like, <laughs> yeah, so well. <laughs> you know, multi-party democracy, great. But you want to have it secular and, you know... Um, yeah. It's really and, and society, and that's quite hard in yeah. Uh, but even Canada, we still have um, some religious undertones. Yeah, because they're not they're not overt, right? But they're mm -hmm. still there, and they're always going to be there because we're not going to change like century old laws that are right. You know that are the foundation of what we build our country on. So. Religion, yeah, religion is a value system at the end of the day. Yeah. So I can see why that was the case, but. Um, <clears throat> It wasn't that because what happened was um, <laughs> it was essentially a cult, literally a cult oh my led by Joseph Coney, who claimed himself as a prophet, oh, just saying like, lovely. oh, yep, I'm cool. I'm the best. I'm a prophet. Where, <laughs> you know, where is he getting like this? It's like one day he wakes up and he's like, you know what? I'm the prophet of this new nation. Well, it's, it goes back to religion and power, right? Like he, of course, wants... He's, he's he a leader. To, yeah. He wants to lead. And so he wants to not only empower people by force, but also by values and, yeah. you know, tradition. That's a, you know, that's how you run a country, by ensuring that you have the people's values behind you, behind your decisions, and by 
ensuring that people understand you as a prophet. <laughs> yeah. Woo! I but, know. But uh, I think that's a little extreme, and I don't think... Oh, quite. <laughs> Let me just get into it, because <laughs> this is, like, so much foreshadowing, because cults never, ever, ever end well. Like, can you think of a cult that has ever ended in, like, peace? <laughs> I, know that, I know that there's there's, there's this little place mm-hmm. in in Kingston that's a deli shop that's it's also kind of culty. <laughs> Okay. But, but I think I think <laughs> I cute. I don't I don't know specifically what it is. It's like mm-hmm. a 12, 12 man something. Huh. Yeah, I gotta love cults, right? Gotta love them, cause this one was particularly awful. Um, cause it's known for human rights violations, murder, abduction, mutilation, child sex slavery, and recruiting child soldiers, which literally sounds like How to Be a Monster One Hundred One. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> so. I know, you keep sighing because it gets just, it gets worse. So they are allied with Sudan and the Allied Democratic Forces. I, um, they're essentially against the Ugandan government, South Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Central African Republic, the U.S., which is an interesting part of the story later on, mm-hmm. um, and the U.N. peacekeepers, obviously. So <clears throat> after 9-11... The U.S. actually deemed LRA as a terrorist group. At the time, you have to remember that after 9-11, the U.S. changed their foreign policy. They changed their mindset. They were quite um, skeptical and quite nervous, perhaps, of anybody that did not share well, they, their yeah, they values, also, their appearance, their religion. So They used a lot of the, the idea of like war against terror to... Yeah, exactly. Obama actually signed into law the LRA Disarmament and Northern Uganda Recovery Act in 2010 um, in order to essentially ask Congress for money to deploy 100 U.S. military advisors to train, assist, and provide intelligence to fight against the LRA, which that actually happened. He actually succeeded. So um, that's essentially a brief history of the LRA. And if you want to learn more about it, because it has a really interesting history if you're into international politics and uh, development. Um, the Guardian and The New Yorker have great articles on it, and that's where I got a lot of this information from. So we're going to get into the meat of this topic. Um, so we have the first charges against five men. These five men are Joseph Kony, Vincent Uti, uh, Otto Okot, De Hamobo, oh boy, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Ogwen and Raska Luquia. Uh, these five men are the commanders uh, within the LRA, and they have all been charged with seventy counts of war crimes, uh, crimes against humanity, and allegedly these are these are all considered uh, after July two thousand two, but majority of them, and it, this is ridiculous. Majority of them occurred in refugee and are internally displaced camps uh, in Gulu District, northern Uganda. And that's ridiculous, though. Like It's crazy. When, when you see these people, you know, they have very little means of protection, very little means of services, you know, any way of helping themselves. They're a very vulnerable community, so it's, it's hard to... Yeah, and it's no surprise, right? Like, of course they're going to attack the most vulnerable women, children, people who don't have anything really yeah. to defend themselves. So, 
a very vulnerable group to these people. And, and it's so cruel. Oh my gosh. And just to emphasize, war crimes consist generally of attacks against civilian populations, murder, attempted murder, uh, a few other things, crimes against humanity, murder, attempted murder, torture, uh, enslavement, a few other things. So these are really serious crimes. Okay, so we're going to get into the referrals now. Uh, and so opening up, Uganda sent out a referral in June uh, 2002. And this was to ensure that ICC was notified of this and that a process would begin. Later uh, in 2005, we finally see an arrest warrant come out for the leaders of the LRA. So that is, again, Joseph Kony, Vincent Uti, uh, Raska Luquia. I think I just messed up that name. Octo, oh my gosh. Occult. Occult. It sounds right. You got this. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> we got this. Uh, Dominic Ogwen. And so this was, this came out as a sealed document, uh, sealed warrant of arrest. And this is um, a document which has information. It's withheld from the public. Yeah. And this is to ensure that people are not uh, victims or witnesses are not harmed. Um, there is no collateral damage, media, there's no frenzy of media. It's to ensure that everything's enclosed and kept safe. Yeah, and, but, and to give governments the time to react and like intelligence services, I'm sure, yeah. to further investigate and get their shit together. Yeah, um, and then, here, then they have a process where they will, they will have a process where they will request for cooperation uh, through governments, through organizations to find these men. Uh, then they will unseal any documents if this is un, uh, if there is no fruit to right. their efforts. It's like crowdsourcing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like for trying to find international criminals. Mm -hmm. Gotta love it. So you would think as an international criminal court case that this would be dry, stale, boring. Immensely dead. <laughs> Quite bone draining soul, <laughs> soul sucking, sucking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but it is not because this is where the story takes a dramatic turn this is a drama this is like your like you know your real life drama your like soap opera level exactly this is the top shit because this gets me so excited because there's so <laughs> much intrigue and it's just a crazy story you could never have imagined that this yeah, would be the case you would never think that you would get excited about the icc criminal court case <laughs> i know right okay okay so it turns out that after these warrant of arrests are like matt said released to the public and, well um after the unsealing more specifically, not mm. the unredacted version in 2015. Mm. So after the unsealed version of the warrant is released, so the Uganda People's Defense Force, more commonly called the National Resistance Army, um, is essentially another name for the armed forces of Uganda. So they claimed that Ongwen was killed in action on October 10th, 2005. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for the sound effects, man. <laughs> um, and the LRA soon confirmed that Ongwen was killed shortly after that announcement by the armed forces of Uganda. It's quite suspicious because it's literally right after the unsealing of that, the warrant of arrest that year. And so it's like the good old fake 
death gambit, yeah, you know? It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, no, I don't exist anymore. <laughs> don't look for me. Don't chase me. Um, so the ICC, of course, was like so skeptical. Yeah. And so in July of 2006, they actually fingerprinted the body, quote-unquote, of Angwen and confirmed that it wasn't him. <laughs> I feel like they had a picture of him, looked at the guy, and was like, this definitely isn't actually him. <laughs> well, I wonder who it is. Like, I didn't, I didn't yeah. go into detail about that, but I don't think I wonder who it was. To, to like, it's like beyond share. recognition, almost. I oh would imagine. Gosh. I would imagine, right? Because then it'd be too obvious that oh yeah, no, that's, that's not him. That's true. Anyway, still, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, posturing. Anyway, so I actually did some research and found a documentary called "Picking Up the Pieces." Um, that was created in 2007, <laughs> where the spokesperson for the Uganda People's Defense Force, called Major Felix Kulajai... Disclaimer! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, said probably the most fucking amazing thing I've ever heard in the entire world, which is, quote, unfortunately, the bastard is still alive. <laughs> Just, well, I want you to say that in End your quote. like most military, like, say it in the most military voice you have. Unfortunately, the bastard is still alive. That's your most military. Oh my god! It's a British accent. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so, wow. Um, <laughs> so, after this whole fake death situation, the ICC was like, "Okay, we gotta separate this guy from the rest of the uh, LRA leaders." And on the sixth of February, two thousand and fifteen, in order to. Um, not delay proceedings and just focus on this guy because, spoiler alert, he gets captured, which <gasps> I'll go into after. Dun, dun, dun. The ICC wanted to essentially expedite this whole process and just focus on him and because he was captured and the rest were, of course, in the dust. Yeah. Know. Well. Uh, well, and Matt. A, a little <laughs> a little, Mr. Luquia. Uh, yes. His proceedings were actually terminated because uh, of his confirmed death on August 12, 2006. So he was a little more in the dust than the others. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. On to the capture and arrest of Ongwen, which oh, is yeah, probably the most the... amazing thing ever. <laughs> the story goes deeper. Okay, so in 2014... Ongwen was essentially put up in this prisoner camp by Kony. His his superior. Yeah. Um in, near the area of Songo for essentially disobeying his orders. And what I love is he refused Kony's radio messages, which is like <laughs> the Ugandan equivalent of like ghosting somebody, <laughs> which is the funniest thing when I read that. Imagine, imagine that was like the punishment for ghosting someone. You're put in an internment camp or like... Yeah, you're, you're put in prison. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Great, love it. Um, Sentenced to five years in prison. Anyway, so in 2014, he escaped Coney's clutches. And... Um, in a harrowing escape. <laughs> I like to imagine. Um, <laughs> so he stumbled across his... He's, wow, can I even speak English? Can, we, can any of us? Can any of us really speak English? <laughs> so he stumbled across these nomadic cattle herders just 
in who knows where. It's it's not middle of nowhere. It's not specified. Um, and they were just you know walking their cattle, minding their own business, and this random guy comes up. Sorry, you were gonna say something. In like prisoner gear and everything, just (laughs) like help me. I don't know about that, but okay. So, they guided him to a Silika Muslim rebel group. The Silika Muslim rebel group is in the Central African Republic, and I did a little bit of research, and they're actually not affiliated, to the best of my knowledge, with the LRA, apart from just having really bad groups of international criminals um, in common. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. And, like, I actually Googled uh, Salika rebel group, and a Salika leader called Abdullahi Essien, I hope that's right. We're, we're again, <laughs> we're English-speaking people. Yeah. Um, and he's been quoted as saying, quote, We have killed, murdered, and violated, but what happened, happened, end quote. So he's like an actual piece of shit, you know? My like, gosh. <laughs> he's the worst fucking person. That's like on your, like, oh my god. So these were by no means like a charity organization that he was dropped at. So um, the Salika commander... I feel who, sorry for these nomadic cattle herders. They have to deal with... I know, like, right? The LRA and... <laughs> a rebel group? <laughs> and car? Yeah. Or, no, no, no. Salika? No. Salika. Salika in car. Right. The Central African Republic. <clears throat> okay, so the Salika commander apparently um, was like... Who the fuck is this guy? After the cattle herders come with him to their little group. And so he actually contacted a merchant in a nearby city called Moki. Moki? Moboki? 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 I I think that's how we're going to say (laughs) it. Yeah. And they didn't know. And so they contacted an NGO worker in the city of Oboe. And, um, this is kind of like a loose story. I checked in a few places. This is like the synopsis essentially of what yeah, happened there were like, no specific names yeah. given it's very ambiguous but anyway so when the ngo worker i like to believe when they <laughs> heard the description of this guy they were probably like oh shit oh my gosh it's <laughs> this is a wanted international work criminal. <laughs> this is huge yeah and also at this time um it became public so people knew like this the media knew about Ongwen, and so so the salika found out the Salika group, found out that this was Ongwen, and they also found out that the ICC had a warrant of arrest against him. So they sort of happened to fall into, hopefully, a money opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. So, funnily enough, a crisis. Gotta the U.S. It. was involved. <laughs> Yay! So, you know, the U.S. always has to be involved in something, don't I they? Know. Okay, so the U.S. government um, offered five million dollars, five million U.S. dollars, as a reward for the for information leading to Angwen's arrest. So, of course, the Salika rebels were like, "Give me some of that." Um, I don't think America really wanted that, though. Exactly, they did not pay a terrorist organization five million dollars. Imagine if they did. I know, the optics. I mean, oh my gosh! So so many ethical legal like issues right there i know you should have just paid it to like some random ngo well you know who they should have paid it to who the goddamn cattle farmers who found <laughs> this person who found the Ogwen, right that's true like, that's those true poor, poor literally poor cattle herders yeah they're stuck no, in the they're middle nomadic. of the lra and and uh the salika group I, right they can <laughs> they, use this money they deserve five anyway 
after everybody was made aware that uh, Ong Gwen was found, um, and of course he wasn't uh, at this point evading, he was kind of surrendering. Like so he wanted to get out of there. Right. And so the Ugandan military transferred him to the Central African Republic military, who transferred him to the ICC. And so it's funny, because there's so many great quotes, like, you know, what I've just mentioned, like, unfortunately, the bastard is still alive. And <laughs> but what happened happened, you know, all those quotes. So I'll add this quote, because it's also kind of funny. Angwen, during this transferring time, was said um, to have said that, quote, he was wasting his time in the bush, dot, 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 as the LRA has no future, end quote. And Ooh, that must have been like a real hit to like Coney. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, and he also said that like this is to re- remind everybody. This is um, a senior brigade commander of the LRA saying this stuff, and also that the LRA soldiers should go back to their homes. Like it's not worth it. They're just they have no future. In January um, of twenty fifteen. Ongwen was transferred to the ICC detention center in The Hague in the Netherlands. And um, his initial appearance in the court was um, January 26, 2015. Okay, so Ongwen's captured and the trial actually begins on December 6, 2016. And so the presiding judges are Bertram Schmidt, Peter Kovacs, which if Mm. you listen to the first episode, he's also uh, one of the major judges in that case. He's a cool guy. So cool. Okay. He's a real cool guy. <laughs> the thing about Peter Kovacs people is he has the most ridiculous and amazing mustache of like, all time. It's, it's oh my gosh, this thing's like a oh, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't want to like, like I don't want to insult him, but like I know because he's an probably amazingly smart man, but it actually looks like a cowboy old western like giant horseshoe mustache. <laughs> you know, like he's got he's got the little like. <laughs> He's got like the whole thing just over his droop, like it's drooping over his mouth. Yeah, so we'll probably post a picture or something or to. tweet we it or something. Um, He's probably not gonna like that. No, <laughs> tag him in it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay, okay. And the other presiding judge was Raul Cano Panglalangan. Panglalangan. You know, by the end of this, we're going to become so good. We're going to know a different language. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the defense lawyer was Crispus Aina Ondongo, who was defending, of course, Ongwen. And the prosecution lawyers, Fatou Bensouda, James Stewart, and Benjamin Gr- Gumpert. And just a shout out to Fatou Bensouda, because she was uh, actually a vocal ICC prosecutor in our last podcast as well. Um, she in this scenario denounces Angwen in this case and she's just she's just kind of amazing because I feel like, like all these people are really really cool like to be an international criminal court prosecutor on a bunch of these complicated cases like wow that takes, takes like these things take years right. right and and on top of that like they're doing multiple at a time right and these are private lawyers too like a lot of them um are like have their own firms because <laughs> they're so famous and huh. so um not only famous but really good at their jobs so so they're rolling in it yeah but deservedly i would well, say yeah if, if you're able to do this then mm-hmm. so 
It's crazy because I actually saw videos like on YouTube. The International Criminal Court actually has like trial videos of parts of it that they narrate, and it's really cool. So I they played this part where Ongwen says that he understood the charges, and get this, he pleaded not guilty. I don't. I don't know how. In his right mind, he was like, "Yes, I will come out of this perfectly fine." Yeah, you know, I I call bullshit, man. Like, the only thing worse than doing these crimes not is not guilty. pleading guilty to them, you know. And but we'll talk about that later because there's a little bit of a controversy, an interesting situation. Yeah, so I'm excited about it that. It really is the crux of their argument too. So quite the defense's argument. So <laughs> it's crazy because speaking of the defense lawyer. It must be so interesting to be a defense lawyer for a war criminal or an alleged war criminal. So, like, you you have, like, the personal moral dilemma of, like, knowing that they may be guilty but become innocent. become innocent. Or if they become guilty, then you have, like, then you have such a awful enemy. Can you imagine? Like, they must oh, be... I feel like it's the entire court system that becomes the enemy at that point, though, because right. it's not just their, their specific... It is not just them that is the reason. Right, right, right. But could you imagine, like, your moral compass? Crazy. They feed all their money into, like, just defense, just, like, security. Goes into therapy. Oh, my God. <laughs> all of that money. <laughs> anyway, so, um, essentially, January 16th, 2019, the presentation of evidence of the prosecution starts. So in that evidence, a lot of victims are given the right to participate in, in the trial. And so more specifically, 4,107 victims huh. were granted the right to participate. And this man still chose to plead not guilty. I know, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. And so one gr- so there's two groups. One group of 2,601 victims were represented by two lawyers called Joseph Akwenu Manoba and Francisco Cox. Wow, that was brilliant. Thanks. Brilliant pronunciation. (laughs) Um, Who were actually chosen by the victims. And then 1,502 victims didn't choose to be represented by a lawyer, and the last four remain to be seen. Yeah, imagine having 4,000 victims testify against you. (laughs) That's just crazy. That is, is ridiculous. Usually people get convicted on, like, one victim. Two. two victims. Yeah, this guy has four thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's like hmm, hmm, little, little hard to, you know, worm your way out of that. For sure. So additionally, we're just gonna get into the witnesses. The we have a hundred and twenty-three witnesses, which is a ridiculous number. Uh, sound recordings, photos, and even an intercepted LRA radio transcript, which is it's kind of like. It's kind of like CIA, like special agent type of thing, you know? It is that. Essentially what happened is um, a Ugandan intelligence official, because this is a radio frequency. This isn't like encrypted. Essentially, they just found this frequency that they were using. For Stumbled all upon of... it, just like searching through. Well, yeah. And you have to keep in mind, in Uganda at this time, it was only the top leaders, top commanders who had radios. So it was direct communication. Actual names were used and code names, but actual names were used. And these witness, these um, witnesses, and even an LRA senior brigade radio operator could identify each of the commanders based off of this radio recording. And these were done on like cassette tapes. So this intelligence official recorded these because they he knew like 
I, I would imagine he knew that this... Like, what was happening. What Especially was going to happen, like, you know? You know, just even, even without knowing who these people are, it's the fact that of what he is hearing, you know, they it's are... It's awful. Making, yeah, they're making plans to do, you know, certain uh, movements of troops, certain actions against civilians or people or military personnel. Like, right. either way, it's... Yeah, you know, bragging that they were recruiting child soldiers, raping women, like, just awful things. So this smart-ass person was like, I'm going to record them. <laughs> and of course, all of these transcripts were then combed through in this investigation and trial. So then we get into our trial dates. So uh, 18th of September, 2018, we have the presentation of evidence of the defense. Uh, 2012, December, 2019, closure of their evidence. Uh, then we move on to 24th of February, uh, 2020, closing briefs filed. And now we're just waiting for March 10th, 2020 for closing statements. Which at the time of this recording is four days away. It's ridiculous. Which is crazy. So we'll see, we'll see. Okay, so this is the intriguing part because there's a little bit of controversy. So it's this case is <clears throat> the first ICC case that... An accused has been charged with the same crimes that were initially committed to him. So the defense argues that Ongwen is not a criminal, but a victim uh, because he was abducted as a young child and forced to do all of these things and forced into the LRA. So in one of Ongwen's statements, he says, quote, The LRA killed people, committed atrocities, and I am one of the people against the LRA commissioned atrocities. But it's not me, Dominic Ongwen, personally, who is the LRA, end quote. Uh, so many little, like, uh, so depending on what they choose as, uh, as whether he is guilty or whether he is not guilty, this will set a precedence for all other preceding cases for anything of this. Yeah, of course. And this can go into, you know, like the, the idea that, all these people who are guilty of war crimes under uh, the LRA or any other international or national-based uh, criminal organization, they can plead to this. So mm -hmm. depending on where they go, it's really important. Well, it sort of reminds me of the Nuremberg trials where Nazi subordinates, Nazi officials, w were set on like put on trial. And their argument was that they were essentially brainwashed and forced to do all of these awful things, you know. Yeah, it wasn't the, the power of authority too. Right. So it's it's certainly an interesting question in law. Um and it's funny because I actually saw some of the courtroom proceedings, like I said before, and I actually saw him say what I just quoted. And you want to believe him, you know, like in one aspect I could see his mentality, but there's a limit to his argument. Yeah. Like you can't when so, you have 4,000 people testifying against you, you know, stating right. that you've done these horrible, horrible things, like you are a leader at this point. Right. Yeah. And so I actually, not a surprise, but I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. And, um, <laughs> a little shout out to them. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite right now is My Favorite Murder. I love Georgia and Karen. Um, and what they come to a lot in their summaries is... Just because you have a bad or abusive childhood does not give you the validation and the okay to commit those crimes yourself, you know? That's not how life works. Just because yeah. you had a rough go of it does not mean yeah. that you 
are now given the license to commit yeah. awful things. We are know? we live in a society that uses the rule of law and it's not eye for an eye. Right. You know? And there's a everybody has their shit. Not you know, it it takes even like let's just play a hypothetical here. If you were abducted by the LRA and forced into this, I would not granted brainwashed, granted young age. Mm-hmm. But eventually you would hope that your moral compass would be like, no, I yeah. shouldn't murder these people. Well, it depends. And not also rise too. up the ranks, you know? Yeah. And, and also it depends on like, you know, the situations that you're forced into. Right. You know, are you, are you at the time fighting for your life or are you fighting exactly. for it's, the purpose? It's such a big hypothetical. And, and this is going, getting into the idea of like, your intent what it was your intent was it mm-hmm. you were forced here you had to do this or was it you came here and you did do this well see i think initially you can argue that yeah i was forced into it and i was a kid i was impressionable i i had no choice but i think eventually as you grow up and when you're in an organization that praises people and doing awful things like the one he was part of at a certain point you have to like you you tell yourself oh, I should do these awful things. I should do that because I'll get the power. I'll get the, you know, and that's kind of the line, I think, personally, this is my opinion, that crosses the line, I think, and says like, well, no, you can't can't have the excuse of a bad childhood to then, as an adult, commit those awful things. And we're not saying like, he's committing robbery or... You know, no, not, not even drug like, like you know, you know like this dark. is an international crime that he's done over 70 counts of. It's not like his first yeah, thing and he was remorseful. Yeah, these are war crimes, these are crimes <laughs> against serious, humanity. Like, serious and, and the, the thing is, a very key aspect is that you were not forced into a situation where you had to kill civilian populations. Like, the civilian populations were not fighting against you, you were not in significant danger against. I see what you're saying. Well, and what's also interesting is he is now, now, quote unquote, realizing that, oh, the LRA, I am not the LRA. I didn't, it was not me, blah, blah, blah. You, of course, now, since you have said that, your mind is capable of sensing that that was wrong, that the LRA Mm -hmm. is is not good and you shouldn't be a part Mm -hmm. of it. That couldn't have been the first time that those thoughts have gone through his head. No one. You know? You know, there's always doubt in decision-making, right? And there's always thinking of uh, what would happen if I did this before as opposed to this. Mm-hmm. And you weigh the, the pros and cons for your situation, right? And there's always external influence that changes your judgment. Right. But it seems that that external influence wasn't strong enough to make him sway to not commit these crimes and then go... And try and find another way out. Right. And repeatedly do so. Yeah. At this magnitude. Yeah. Like, that's a whole other like ballgame. In all his time, he had the ability to just leave. Or not participate yeah. or rise up to power. Yeah. Like, because that's a mindset. Like, he, even while he was detained by Coney, he was still able to escape. So now imagine mm. if he was not detained. Interesting. He has this opportunity to leave this life. Yeah. But, you know, there, there's, there's so much psychological trauma. There's Quite. so much. There's a lot of nuances to this that is very yeah. hard to delve into without getting philosophical and mm. very. Right. And 
ultimately, who are we to know the inner mind of... A war criminal? I, I know. Like, you can only postulate as to what they may have been yeah. thinking, but... So this uh, this has been uh, quite the controversy. Yeah, and what's crazy is it's still an ongoing case. We don't know what the final yeah. situation is for Angwen. So we'll find out in four days, I guess. <laughs> so we're pretty sure that we got something wrong. So if we did get something wrong and you'd like to tell us, send us a message or tweet at us or use the hashtag Curious Nerds. We're going to get a flood, a flood of tweets. Probably. <laughs> or if you just like our stuff, let us know. So join the good cult of Curious Nerds. I love it. <laughs> So if you like this podcast, wherever you're listening, follow us, like us. I don't know what other thing to do you can do to us. Subscribe. Subscribe. Follow. Like. Comment. Watch. watch listen. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Share with friends. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Just spread the love. Spread the love. That's what we're about. So uh, follow us on Twitter um, at Two Curious Nerds. I think so. We're on Spotify, a bunch of other places where you usually find podcasts, so check us out. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta enjoy this. Mm -hmm. All right. Cheers, guys. Bye.